Okay, I've got a question. What do double-baked macaroons, an unnecessary amount of bowling, and allegations of corporate espionage have in common? Well, somehow, believe it or not, they're all key plot points in 2017's The Christmas Calendar. We've got a lot to talk about, Josh. We absolutely do, Jennifer, and we'll unpack it all on this, the debut episode of Do You Watch What I Watch? Hi friends, I'm Josh. And I'm Jennifer, and here we are. It's happening. <laughs> Things are happening. Um, how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling great about it. I think that we have a plan, we have some movies, we've got some opinions, and hopefully we'll have some listeners. <laughs> Here's hoping. The, um, the anticipation I've had leading up to recording this podcast is much like a child on Christmas Eve, sugar plums dancing in my head. The whole nine yards. All of it. So let's tell people how we got to this point. So I've known you, Jennifer, for quite some time, more than a decade. We both Many lived moons. in the Nashville area, long time, right? And I think we were at dinner with some friends and we just got to talking about Christmas movies, didn't we? I believe so, yeah. It, you know, it comes up in conversation in the middle of the summer, like it, it always would. As one does, right? <laughs> I think we got to talking about it and we said, you know what? We should just honestly do a podcast. And so here we are. Here we are. Well, last year, you and I both were big on our Instagram stories, rating, reviewing as many movies as we could the holiday season. And I'll tell you, I got more interactions from friends and family on that content than my career, than my child, than anything else I've ever done in my life. So maybe this <laughs> so is our clearly call. There's an audience for the content as well. They're clamoring for it. Clamoring. And so <laughs> what we're going to do these first couple of episodes is just unpack a few of a few of our favorite, for one reason or another, a few of our favorite Christmas movies and just kind of get the train on the track, right? Yes. Yes. And so this week we've picked one of my favorites. This is The Christmas Calendar from 2017. It is a Mar Vista classic. And you know, a lot of people like Hallmark movies, and I love a good Hallmark, but to me, Mar Vista, you can't go wrong because it's a little lower budget, right? And it's very, what's a good Cozy. Idea? It's cozy. <laughs> it's a cozy vibe. It's a cozy vibe. That's exactly right. And so here's the IMDb, and I want to know, based on this summary, having never seen this film, Jennifer, what your first impressions were. So here it goes. When Emily a struggling baker in a small town receives a handmade Christmas calendar from a secret admirer. The local residents become obsessed with finding out the identity of the sender. So that was the summary on IMDb. What were your initial impressions? So at first I thought it was an actual paper calendar mm. and we were just ripping off pages. Tis not, tisn't. It is really a, monumental um, construction project of a build of an advent calendar. So I was wrong there. Then I saw the artwork for the movie and I thought, boy, howdy, because it looked a little, it looked a little low budge. It looked a little cheesy. It was very uh, pink and red tones. And so I was questioning everything. Then I watched the trailer. Have you mm. seen the trailer for this movie? I have. 
So the trailer spoils the entire mystery of the movie. Most of them do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was my biggest mistake for our listeners out there. Don't watch the trailer. You just need to watch the movie. And that's my biggest um, insight to you and yours. Well, there you go. <laughs> so when I saw this, I originally was like, hey, that woman looks sort of familiar. And she looks familiar because she used to be on Broadway. She's yes. done things on Broadway. The guy looks like every other guy that's in one of these Christmas movies to me. There is but, a, there's a trope for the males, especially. Precisely. But he's French, right? And so that's an added twist that no one will see coming. So, <laughs> Yes, I remember. So I didn't know Laura Bell Bundy, the lead from Broadway, but she tried to have a run at a country music career, as we all have at some point in our lives. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, one of her songs, I think the single was called Giddy On Up, Giddy On Out. Well, there you have it. We might put a link in the show notes if we can figure out how to do that so you can watch it in your own time. I it was very Broadway-esque, very theatrical. Honestly, I was here for it when she tried to be a country music singer, so I'm glad to see her on my screen. Well, and that was one of the problems that I have with this movie is here she is, a really great singer, and the only time we see her singing, it's a yikes for me. Oh, it's, uh, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. I have a lot of thoughts. I've thought about it on my commute since seeing the movie. I can't stop thinking about that scene. Many thoughts. So let's get into it. All right. So curtain up and here we are in this quaint little town called Nelson Creek. And it's super idyllic, isn't it? I mean, it looks like Christmas postcard, beautiful town. I loved it. And so anyone who knows me, uh, Gilmore Girls, all-time favorite TV show. And Never this whole movie gives me Stars Hollow, Gilmore Girls vibes, and I 1,000% sign off on that. And so we get Emily, who is the main character here, and she's wearing this gray coat, not a red peacoat. I know. There is a red peacoat by somebody else, though, so we can get to that later. Exactly. But she's, of course, a quote-unquote big city lawyer. She has just moved back to Nelson Creek in the wake of her grandmother's untimely death. And she's going to open the bakery named for her because in addition to being a high-powered big city lawyer, of course, she's also an expert baker. Well, yes, she wears many hats. Yeah. So many hats. And so she's got a friend who works at the shop with her, this girl named Shay, who has a nose ring. And we're reminded 17 times in the movie that she's got a nose ring. She's punk. And the rest of the town is not. Exactly. And they want you to know that going in. And so <laughs> she's at the shop and they're doing their thing and all this other stuff. And then lo and behold, and Croyab, here comes Gerard. And it's very clear. Although, side note, I didn't really realize at first that his name was Gerard because the way he says it, it sounds like Jean. Like it was just a weird, a weird pronunciation for me. Yes. Do we think this guy actually speaks French or is this So just I looked it up because I wanted to somewhat be informed before I went in on my true thoughts. He is from Canada, but I saw some Instagram videos on his um, personal page and he sounds very much not French. Hmm. So by, based on that, I'm going to say that we can mock him and his accent was one of the lowest points of this film. Mm. In mm. my hot, is that a hot take? And it feels like a hot take out of the gate. Oh the, man, I th it was distracting. I felt the same. And it was sometimes really hard to understand what the man was saying. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I didn't need it. I don't know why he, I mean, if he's truly French, that's great, but I don't think he is. And so I don't know why we needed that included, but here we are. Yeah. So we've got Gerard and lo and behold, come to find out he works across the street at Forge Mart, which why in a small town there's something that's supposed to be like a Walmart across the street from poor Emily's bakery is beyond me. It feels a little forced. Yeah, she must have really upset somebody or her grandmother upset someone at the planning commission, clearly. <laughs> yeah, why they allowed that in Nelson Creek is beyond me. So, <laughs> yeah. And is so, that how Lowe's and Home Depot feel when they are across the street from one another? That's exactly what it must feel like. <laughs> now we know. Now we know, exactly. <laughs> and so we get early on in this whole thing, the detail that Emily has financial problems because lo and behold, her grandmother paid for law school and took out a bunch of loans. And so Emily is faced with this terrible choice of selling her grandmother's home or selling the bakery. And she honestly doesn't know what to do. And it would be tragic to sell that home because it is the cutest red and green tutor I've ever seen in my life. So um, <laughs> and you've seen a few I, I would pick the head. home over the bakery if I was being honest. Right. But the thing that I couldn't get past in the bakery, and I don't know if you noticed it too, but on the signs in the back that tell what kind of muffins and cookies and all that, the word carrot is misspelled. And that just feels like the biggest oversight for me that I just could not get past the entire film. How do they spell it? C-A-R-R-O-T-T. -T. Carrots. Carrot. Well, maybe, maybe those are French as well. <laughs> But there's American money that's being passed around in this film, because I thought the same too. I was like, well, surely maybe they're in Canada filming this. No, apparently not. So <laughs> there you have it. So anyway, we're back at the bakery. Gerard comes in and he's sort of flirting with her. And then lo and behold, he sees these double baked macaroons. And that's apparently Emily's family tradition. Her grandmother used to make them the whole nine yards, whatever. Well, she called it a secret recipe, but she wrote on the tag that goes on the display case, double baked macaroons. Mm. And then she was offended that he would try to weasel the family secret out of her. He, she labeled it, did she not? She labeled it as such, you're absolutely right. That didn't make sense to me. And this gets really dramatic when Emily learns that there's a bakery that opened up at the Forge Mart across the street from the banker in town who's trying to tell her what to do with her money and her investments in the Solnite Yards. And she walks in and Zutalor, it's Gerard behind the counter at the Forge Mart. Shocking information here. Uh, he was undercover stealing her family recipe. Right. And in the meantime, Emily gets this package, right? So Gerard comes in, says hello, he disappears, and all of a sudden Emily's like, whoa, what's this big box that just happened to pop up here? Which seems unlikely to me, but I don't know. This whole movie is built around this concept of maybe things are magical, right? <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe, right? And so she opens the box, and what does she find? She finds this Christmas calendar that's basically the most elaborate architecturally built advent calendar you've ever seen in your entire life. I think it had a working elevator. <laughs> Wouldn't have surprised Central me. air. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a door to open for every day all the way leading up to Christmas Eve. And of course, Shay, being the millennial she is, she posts a picture of it on social media. And lo and behold, Adele, who is the manager at the Forge Mart, sees that on social media somehow. And she goes, hello. <laughs> 
from the other side. Is that the only the adult reference I'm allowed to make, or? <laughs> I feel like it's 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 well allowed. Yeah. <laughs> so Adele sees it, and she is just mad because she, of course, being the corporate manager of a Walmart knockoff that she wants to be, is in a mood to kill Emily's sweet little bakery across the street. <laughs> yeah, she's out for blood. Right. Right. Meanwhile, a newspaper reporter sees the Christmas calendar and thinks that this is the story of the century, which apparently it must be in Nelson Creek because he snaps with the most old-timey of old-timey cameras you've ever seen, a picture of Emily standing in front of this, this Christmas calendar and puts it on the front page of the paper in Nelson Creek. And it was not a flattering photo of her either, and she's a very pretty girl. She is, and I was stunned that that newspaper reporter didn't retake that picture. <laughs> he didn't care. He's He just needs the headlines out. You, you know how news people are. Fake news. That's all it is, right? <laughs> and so, bottom line, what she's going to do every day is open a clue. And for some reason, and I don't know why, but the crowds of people coming to see her open what amounts to a one-sentence clue every day at noon just keep on growing and keep on getting bigger and bigger. Well, because they think this is from a secret admirer, right? That's the that's right. what they're under the impression of, even though the notes every day weren't terribly romantic to me. Not at all. They were very innocuous and very benign. But boy, Edna and Pearl, these two sweet old ladies, couldn't get enough. Were that, was that their, really their name? I Edna actually and Pearl? wrote that in my notes, Edna and Pearl. I <laughs> underlined it as well because... I don't know where they found these two old women to play these roles, but they were perfectly cast. They were a delight. Yes, they, they were, were absolutely a delight. a delight. Throughout this entire, they have nothing else going on in their life other than to show up at Emily's Bakery every day at noon to see what the clue is. <laughs> oh, I want to get to that point in my life. Right. And meanwhile, you know, Shay's got a daughter, of course, Emily. I guess Shay's a single mom, we're led to believe. And yes. Emily apparently has this relationship with this woman that she keeps seeing throughout town, right? So she gives this woman a quarter and she's, you know, collecting money. And at one point she sees her while she's looking for Christmas trees with her grandma and this whole nine yards. And she brings an angel to Emily to put on her Christmas tree, which is kind of a sweet moment, I think. Yes. Right. And then, of course, they're like, let's go Christmas caroling in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> Why not? Right. And then all of a sudden it's nighttime and they're Christmas caroling. So there's sort of a time gap there that's a little bit weird. And then out of nowhere, and I don't know if you thought this was weird, too. Out of nowhere, we're at a bar and we're having open mic night. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even care that it's a bar. That's fine. It was, a, you know, the set made sense. I can even get behind some, I love some townies. So if the townies are all hanging out, I'm happy. But it was a weird jump. And this scene went on too long. To Way me. too long. Because what we've got here are the three girls sitting around the table and they're talking about boys. And we've got the two boys and the other boy. Why is everyone from this town in the same place at the same time all the time? And they're all single, and all of the all men are single. always oogling our Emily. Oh, there's so much oogling going on. And then at one point, Gerard sends shots over to the table, and suddenly, three seconds after she takes the shot, Emily's like rip-roaring, ready to go and confront Gerard. <laughs> because he's trying to take down her small bakery, or he's a part of it. He's, he's exactly, working with the enemy. That's exactly right. So she goes over and she confronts him, and he's all like, Come to my kitchen. I'm just a friend who loves to bake. 
<laughs> Excellent accent. Right? I worked on that. <laughs> I believe it. My French teacher, Madame Biafor from high school, would be very impressed with that. And of course, all of a sudden, it's her turn to sing. And so here's Laura Bell Bundy, mind you, former Broadway actress who used to sing. What was what show was she in? I think Legally Blonde. She was in Legally Blonde. Yes, all was. She was. She's more than she capable and talented as a singer. Right, and she gets up and she sings Twelve Days of Christmas." I, my jaw hit the floor. Out of ev <laughs> any song she could have picked, who? Who would ever select the 12 days of Christmas? Yeah. And this is after Ivy, one of her little girlfriends in town, gets up and she's singing the saddest song you've ever heard. <laughs> it's the worst karaoke night. I mean, truly, I don't think I ever listened to the 12 days of Christmas in the holiday season, unless no. it's the version with John Denver and the Muppets. I will listen to that one. Uh, but everything else, I don't have time for it. I don't need it. So I've been honestly thinking about it all week like why would she pick that song i think emily's smart and she's playing the long game mm. because she wanted time and real estate on that stage so she thought if she sings the 12 days of christmas that's going to get her more time that's my only way i can make heads or tails of it you have really invested a lot of thought into this one <laughs> I will that's what i'm here for <laughs> right i appreciate it <laughs> All right, so I am relieved they didn't show us all twelve. her singing all 12 days. I, know. I thought that's where we were going. We got through what? The we got through three, three turtle days. doves? Or... And they're like, and we're going to commercial break. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> so it's the next day, and lo and behold, there's been some sort of mix-up, and it all centers around gold leaf, right? Because Gerard wanted it for something he's baking for this alleged Christmas fair where they're going to have this competition to determine once and for all who is the best baker in town right yes and so Adele is mad because they don't have any customers at Forge Mart because it's not working her plan is not working and Gerard is mad because he has no gold leaf and then lo and behold they make up in like three seconds which was really weird to me and then we get the most elaborate truffle making montage you've ever seen in one of these <laughs> And I will tell, I mean, I have tried to um, make truffles or Oreo balls at the holidays where you dip them in chocolate. Have you ever done that? It's not easy. It's, it's not very e messy. It's certainly not as romantic as we're led to believe. And sidebar, this town is way too small for there to be a house like this that has the most elaborately outfitted Viking appliance kitchen you've ever seen. <laughs> I just kept Yeah, thinking, Viking ain't cheap. Yeah, Viking ain't cheap. And I kept thinking, like, he's new to town, just opening this gross little Forge Mart bakery, and we're to believe he's living in this house that has this Viking kitchen. I don't think so. Well, but he came from New York. Remember, they'd met each other in oh, New that's York. True. So the cost of living, much more in New York. Maybe he has some more um, money in his pocket now to well, upgrade his appliances. Could be. Could be. So, <laughs> anyway. They have this whole truffle making moment. It's really intimate for a truffle making moment. <laughs> There's almost a smooch and then she's like, I gotta go, whatever, whatever, right? And so lo and behold, the next day, Edna and Pearl, these two old grannies, they're back at it, gabbing up a storm and they don't notice that Adele is spying and looking through the window. And lo and behold, she sees the gold leaf. And it is drama because, excusez-moi, there's going to be a fight in the middle of the street between Gerard and Emily. 
<laughs> it's quite the kerfuffle. A, a kerfuffle indeed, right? And that's when Adele's like, I'm taking matters into my own hands. And she calls the health department and she's like, there is some garbage going on over at Emily's where y'all need to shut it down. And of course, <laughs> she has like, rats everywhere. It's just a hot mess. Hot mess. And then speaking of hot messes, here comes the weirdest moment I've ever seen in one of these movies ever. And it's the longest bowling montage in the history of bowling montages. You didn't like the snowball? I just kept wondering, why are we still bowling? Like, why? It did go on too long. I like, I, again, I like the townies. I like the traditions. I like their little events. But it is all 10 of them just hanging out all the time at these forced things that go on way too long. Way too long. And again, they go from fighting to being friends in like two seconds for some reason. Well, he's a good bowler. That's why. Uh, you're exactly right. right? You're a good bowler. She'll, she'll take him on her team, I guess. And so we're led to believe that Gerard has no bowling experience whatsoever. And tell surprise, he bowls a perfect game. <laughs> <laughs> like, Are you a good bowler, Josh? No, I'm not. I'm like an 80 or 90 is usually my score. What about you? Well, I'm not good anymore. But in high school, for every A we got on our report card, we could get a free game of bowling at the local bowling alley. Uh -huh. And so we would go there to hang out because... What else were we going to do? And I did get decent. I never bowled a Gerard perfect score game. But I did, no lie, I got the 7-10 split once on oh. accident. I was on my phone. I had my cell phone in one hand, probably that my Nokia phone. Chucked the ball down and got the 7-10 split. Impressive. And so, here you are yeah. talking about it on a podcast. Years I mean, I don't like to brag, but it is my <laughs> biggest claim to fame in the athletic <laughs> realm. So while they're having this big bowl-a-thon, of course, Adele is there and she is mad when she sees Gerard flirting with Emily. It's just <laughs> not good. And then when, of course, he hits the strike, strike and gets the perfect game, what song plays in the background? Joy to the world. <laughs> <laughs> Just how the Lord intended. Just how the Lord intended. I mean, it was just... <laughs> I didn't notice that. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And oh. so, fast forward the next day, and of course Adele's called the health department, and we get this FBI agent looking guy who apparently works for food safety services and he flashes a badge like who is this guy that really wanted to be on CSI that instead <laughs> wound up in this TV movie he was very serious about his job very and serious food safety is a serious business it is a serious business but he doesn't find anything at Emily's place and so he's like it's clean as a whistle here and so instead he pops over to Forge Mart and whoopsie daisy they don't have their license so he shuts him down <laughs> All of a sudden, we get the crack news team from News News News. I wondered if you saw that. I wrote that down. The News 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 van goes driving by. <laughs> Which I just had to laugh. I'm a former TV reporter and that is just not at all the way any of this with news would ever work. <laughs> news News News. News News News. And they show up there for the big reveal about who is the secret admirer, blah, 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 blah. And there's a line of really rude questioning from this reporter about what's it like to be alone on Christmas Eve? <laughs> yeah. How do you get out of bed in the morning? I know. It's just ridiculous, right? 
And so, lo and behold, it's revealed that the secret admirer is instead her grandmother who passed away. And she had sent her one last present so that she could spend one last Christmas with her. And it's this very sweet and tender moment. And I just thought it was a nice finish. It was very sweet. I I did enjoy that reveal. I mean, even though the trailer kind of spoiled it. I I very much enjoyed that. I thought it was a little twist that we don't always get on these movies. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, there's a big smooch between Gerard and Emily. And they have this whole moment. And then there's Christmas the next day where all of a sudden the bank's like, oh, you know, Forge Mart wants to now have all of your baked goods in your store. Well, of course, with that contract, we can save the house too. Like, it felt like a little bit like okay we've got the relationship all sealed up let's just tie a bow on these outstanding plot points real quick. yes they yada yada the end of it they sure. absolutely yada yada and the whole thing that i couldn't get past is it's like the whole premise of the movie was emily's bakery versus forge mart and then at the end it's like but forge mart's gonna just you know have her stuff selling in it in their store well in her, the or, yeah you know across the country so maybe she still gets to keep her flagship store as <laughs> a little bit yeah she can be you know number one and then just send out her secret recipes for double baked macaroons all across the world well and you know with gerard by her side because of course she needed to hire an extra baker <laughs> There's just going to be years of sweet smells emanating from Emily's bakery. What if he just decided he liked her because he knew he'd need a job? Hmm. I like that. Because he didn't file the paperwork to get the license at Forge Mart. And he's like, whoopsie daisy. Whoopsie daisy. I need a paycheck to pay off these Viking appliances. That's, I like, I like where you're going with that. <laughs> I'm on to him. I don't, I didn't buy their chemistry one bit. I, I didn't buy any of it. Did you? I wanted to buy the chemistry it was just a little odd like it was a little i felt like the whole movie was weird in the sense that there were four men right who could have been the secret admirer and i got confused about who was who regularly yes and especially the tree the creepy guy that ran the tree lot looked too similar to the guy that hangs up the lights in town. Precisely. Precisely my thought. And then there was the baker and the butcher and the candlestick maker, basically. It's precisely. All buying a chance for love. Yikes. Okay, it's time for our three gifts segment. You know, the wise man... Jennifer. They showed up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And similarly, we might show up here with three good gifts. Or they might be lumps of coal. Right. And I think that I've got a little bit of both on this one. Same. Okay. Why don't you give me one of your good ones and I'll follow up with a bad one. We'll just go back and forth until we reveal all six of our gifts because we each get three. That's the rule here. Yes. Love it. So my first gift, without a doubt, in the prettiest paper with the prettiest bow is Laura Bell Bundy. She is a queen. I want to see her on more of these movies. She's probably moved on from this type of thing, but I really enjoyed her. I thought she was charismatic. Um, She was a little quirky. She's beautiful. I can forgive the karaoke scene because I was just um, entranced with her performance. So Mm. that would be my first gift. 
Okay, good. I'm going to follow up with a good gift too. And I'm going to give a good gift because of the baking montage. I love a good baking montage. I thought this one had everything that I want. It was good technique. It was romantic. <laughs> it was good music. It sort of gave me a little bit of the feels. I thought it actually advanced the plot. It was a nice moment. So I'm going to give a, a good gift in that regard. Well, yeah, because it was basically their only date, the whole movie. Oh, that's true. The, the only time they weren't yelling at each other in a grocery store or the street was or the, the middle montage. of the street. <laughs> I, however, am going to give a lump of coal because of the weird plot wrap up at the end. It bothered mm. me that it was just like, oh, yeah, those other problems that she had, they're not problems anymore. And here's why. Right. <laughs> yeah. Poof. Christmas magic. They're gone. It's over. Right. Um, my next thing I'm bringing would be another gift. The small town vibe and the special holiday events. Again, it's very Stars Hollow. I thought the set was really cute, too. I mean, it felt like a small town, so I bought it. I agree. Yeah, I thought they did a good job with all of that sort of stuff. I'm going to give... I'm torn. It's either a good gift or not a good gift, but I think I'm leaning toward not a good gift because of this whole weirdo subplot with the kid that sees dead people. <laughs> Listeners, well, we didn't go over that in our synopsis, <laughs> so right. can you explain that? I will. Bottom line, this little girl, Chloe, keeps seeing this woman throughout town who's collecting money for charity at the holiday season. She sees her through the window at the very end, and lo and behold, as the movie's concluding, we realize that the woman that she keeps seeing is actually Emily's grandmother, right? Like Nani or Nona, whatever Nona, Nani, something like that. The macaroon lady. Either so way. So I liked the reveal that it was Nona Nani. I liked the reveal. It was just a little weird to me. The child well, the child actor in general was a little weird because she wasn't really and in the movie that much. She would just kind of flare up and I didn't really know what her purpose was the whole time. And then at the end, I was like, okay, I see what they were trying to do. Precisely. Okay. Maybe that's it. But still, lump of coal for me. Okay. Well, my last one. item, not to end on a bad note, but it is a lump of coal and it is the karaoke scene because it occupied mm. too much of my brain space this week. I could not get over the fact that she decided to sing the 12 Days of Christmas at a Christmas karaoke bar. There you go. And my last gift is a gold. I'm going to give gold for Edna and Pearl because I thought that they were really well cast. They were <laughs> believable in their roles. They were enthusiastic and really just seemed like it seemed like these actresses were actually friends aside from actually being co-actors together. Yeah, like, and they were just like riffing with one another. I they were that. riffing with each other and I could see them on set just having a lot of fun together. And in my world, they're still, you know, going out to lunch at Applebee's every six months or so to catch Applebee's? <laughs> does Applebee's still exist? Of course it does. For them it does. Yeah. For them Edna and Pearl. So bottom line, we tallied up. We had four gifts and positive things out of six. So we had more gold than coal. Um, so overall, we think it's worth your time. I think this movie is a really good onboarding movie. If you haven't watched many of these holiday made-for-TV movies in the past, I think this is a really good one. Um, it's available on Hulu and some other streaming services. And um, I think you'll really enjoy it. So I think our rating and our conclusion is... It's a jingle bells. I think it's a jingle bells, not a jingle smells. And I, yes, like, I like your term. It's a good on ramp, right? If yes. You watched one of these 
it would be an easy one to get into. It's not too saccharine. It's kind of charming. And it's, you know, an hour and a half that's kind of just fun fluff. It's easy breezy. And that's what I want in these movies. Easy breezy. That's exactly (laughs) right. And that, friends, is our very first episode of Do You Watch What I Watch? Special thanks to Nick Schwartz for our theme song and, of course, to you for listening. Do you like our podcast? Be sure to review, subscribe, and tell a friend. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Do You Watch What I Watch, so give us a follow and leave us a comment. Right. Tell us what kind of movies we should be watching these days and what you think about the show. We want this to really be a fun place for all of us at the holiday season. Hey, by the way, our new website just launched too. Thanks to Jennifer's hard work. You can check us out online at doyouwatchwhatiwatch.com. Next week, we've got one of my favorites, 2013's Hallmark classic, Snow Bride. Do you want to know the lowdown, Josh? I do. You've been talking about it for quite some time. <laughs> Lay it on. So here's the lowdown from IMDb. Greta Kane is always in search of juicy gossip. As a gossip tabloid reporter in Los Angeles, it's her job to expose the rich and famous. So when word gets out that the late Senator Tannenhill's sons might be proposing marriage at their family's big bear compound during Christmas, Greta and her chief rival, Wes, are challenged by their old school editor to get the scoop. Yikes. We will have <laughs> no much... yikes. Yes. We will have much to discuss. And until then... May your days be merry and bright. See you next week.